0: Hello and welcome to the Jacobites Podcast, Episode 1 Introduction and Setting the Scene. Hello, I'm Terry McLaren Fraser and I'd like to welcome you to the Jacobites Podcast. In this series, it is my hope that you'll gain a fuller and more complete understanding of the events of the Jacobite rebellions, the people behind them, the reasons why things happened the way they did, and the repercussions of those events some of which still affect the United Kingdom to this day. I suppose one of the main questions to a newcomer would be, why the Jacobites? Well, to be honest, we never really learned much about this period of history at our school. We covered the Tudors, the Stuarts, the English Civil War, although in all honesty that should be more accurately called the War of the Three Kingdoms because it did also involve Scotland and Ireland. Then the restoration of the monarchy in 1660 And then all of a sudden, we tended to fast forward straight to the Industrial Revolution. Now, while all of those periods are no doubt interesting and very important to the formation of Britain, once I started reading and doing my own research and visiting some of the sites of the Jacobite Rebellion, I personally find this period of history to be fascinating. In my mind, it displays what could quite possibly be described as the greatest threat to the British crown since the war against Parliament. The Jacobite Rebellion tends to be framed in both mythical terms, nationalistic terms, and romantic terms. It's featured in everything from Robert Louis Stevenson's Kidnapped, through Sir Walter Scott's *Waverley*, the movie Rob Roy, and even the currently popular television series and novels of Outlander feature the Jacobite Rising of 1745 as a major plot point in the first two seasons. My hope is throughout this series, I can help flesh out The fact from the fiction and give you, the listener, a newfound appreciation for this vital series of events. My major issue starting this podcast was where to begin. My natural instinct was just to jump straight into the deep end and begin with the events of the glorious revolution, so it's been termed, of 1688. The event that jump-starts the entire Jacobite movement. But I felt that might just be throwing everyone into the deep end and assuming that they knew everything there was to know about the state of England, Wales, Scotland and Ireland at that time. On top of that, there are a whole bunch of interesting things that happened in the reign of James II that shows just how we get to that point that a king is forced to flee his own capital under invasion from a foreign army. So I thought, as an introduction to the series... I would give a very brief whistle-stop tour of the lands of Great Britain and Ireland up until the beginning of the reign of James II in 1685 so that we can provide everyone some context what happens next, some general background so you get a feel for the country at the time, and let us move forward into what exactly gave birth to the Jacobites. So let us first go to Scotland the northernmost nation of the British Isles. Scotland has been an independent kingdom since 1314, after Robert the Bruce's defeat of Edward II's forces at the Battle of Bannockburn. But this was only legally recognised in a treaty between the two in 1328. Since then, Scotland had maintained an independent monarchy, nobility, parliament and legal system from the English. This would change, however, in 1603 when James VI of Scotland inherited the crown of England upon the death of Queen Elizabeth I, thereby becoming James VI of Scotland and first of England in the union of the crowns. The House of Stuart continued to reign England, Ireland and Scotland up until 1649 when King Charles I was executed following the defeat of royalist forces during the wars of the three kingdoms. Following his execution, Scotland proclaimed his son, also named Charles, as King Charles II of Scotland, following protracted negotiations where he had accepted the demands of covenanters to preserve the established religion of Scotland as sovereign and distinct from the rest of Great Britain. Upon hearing of this in England, Oliver Cromwell and the parliamentary army marched north to Scotland, destroying any resistance on the way, Castles such as Roslyn and Tantallon were destroyed and then Edinburgh was occupied before defeating Charles finally in a battle in Worcester and forcing him to flee to exile in France. Following the death of Cromwell in 1658 and a short rather ineffectual reign of his son Richard, the monarchy was restored in 1660 and Charles II reclaimed his thrones and consolidated his rule, not only with a general pardon in Scotland, but the restoration of the Church of Scotland as the state church. However, this was on Charles's terms, not those of the Covenanters who dictated the terms of his accession in 1649. Infuriated by this and other policies, the Covenanter movement held open-air services, and following a skirmish in drumclog, defeated government forces under John Graham of Claverhouse. The Covenanters then declared themselves in open rebellion, but sadly for them, this would be short-lived. Driven apart by internal struggles and facing a royal force reinvigorated with the arrival of the Duke of Monmouth, led to the defeat of the numerically superior Covenanter force at the Battle of Bothwell Bridge. There were still seditious actions taken after that, all the way into the reign of James II, Something to note at this point was that due to the Sankard Declaration of 1676, they would not swear oaths to a king that would not uphold their religion or keep his word. The Scottish Privy Council therefore ordered that if Covenanters were found bearing arms or refusing to swear allegiance to the king and abjuring their links to the Covenanters, they would be summarily executed. Many Covenanters refused, and John Graham of Claverhouse was the man who carried out many of these executions, earning the nickname bloody clavers for his deeds small hint for the future keep john graham of claverhouse in the back of your mind he's going to come back later on if we move on from scotland now we will go to ireland a kingdom that has been ruled over by the english crown since the time of edward ii when the pope conferred the title lord of ireland to the english crown during the reformation under king henry viii the status of ireland was that whilst england held de facto control no Catholic nation recognised this arrangement following his excommunication by the Pope. This impasse continued until the coronation of Mary I in England and her staunch desires to bring England back to the true faith as she saw it in Roman Catholicism. Ireland itself was annexed to England and remained under English control, with several revolts being defeated and the area's predominantly Catholic society being dominated by a largely Protestant landowning class by the time of Oliver Cromwell. But the old Irish still fervently clung not only to their Catholic faith, but their independent Irish identity as well. It's often said that the Irish Rebellion of 1641, which aimed to restore the Catholic majority to power, or at the very least gained concessions for greater tolerance, may have actually helped kickstart the wars of the three kingdoms because Charles's attempts to rally an Irish army were used by some to argue the king was seeking Catholic allies to establish Catholicism and autocracy to the nation. The 1641 rebellion might have been the spark that helped launch the war of the three kingdoms but in and of itself it was particularly bloody. English troops committed vicious assaults against the Irish and Catholics in particular, which did nothing more than swell the ranks of the rebels. However, there were some who robbed, assaulted, evicted, and even killed Protestant landowners. Catholic prisoners would then be slaughtered in retaliation, and therefore the cycle of violence would continue and cause sectarian strife in the country for decades, if not centuries, to come. Once Charles was executed, The Irish, much like the Scots, declared Charles II, King of Ireland. The reaction of Parliament, with Orla Cromwell commanding the army, was decisive and brutal. An army was sent to defeat the Royalist forces, and over the course of two to three years, not only defeated them, but destroyed all manner of food and livestock, executed many, and transported many others to the colonies in North America and the Caribbean to be sold into terms of indentured servitude. Once Charles II was restored to the throne there were some concessions but things didn't go back to how they'd been before all of the land confiscations. In later years there'd be an increasing level of resentment at how the Irish and particular Catholics were treated and this would often become a clarion call for those who sought home rule for Ireland or full independence. Finally we have the last nation of Britain, the Kingdom of England and Wales. Wales is at this point officially annexed as part of England in law since the 1500s which affirmed the de facto occupation of the country since Edward I and the installation of his son as Prince of Wales back in the 1270s. Moving forward to the Tudor times, Henry VIII had instituted religious and societal change with the establishment of the Church of England and the Reformation's destruction and sacking of the monasteries. His daughter Elizabeth, in her reign, had established England as a stand-alone Protestant nation with England's victory over the Spanish Armada. Following the death of Elizabeth, as mentioned previously, the crown then passed to James VI of Scotland, son of Mary, Queen of Scots, who Elizabeth had executed for plotting to overthrow the English crown. James ruled in a relatively peaceable time, except for the now-notorious gunpowder plot, where Catholic militants aimed to decapitate the British state with an enormous bomb detonated in the cellars near the Houses of Parliament during the state opening. Had this been successful, the members of the Commons and Lords in attendance, well as the King, would have all been killed. James continued to rule till 1625, when his son Charles took over, and a combination of his own belief in the divine right of King's English and Scottish sectarianism over the imposition of the Book of Common Prayer in the Church of Scotland, and increasing fear of Catholic plots in England manifested in the Catholic Queen Henrietta Maria. The seemingly arbitrary despotic rule pushed Parliament to take action and rally their own militia to take on Charles and the Royalists. After a lengthy civil war involving England, Wales, Scotland, and Ireland, Charles was caught, sent to London, tried. And beheaded. Then followed a near decade of rule via Oliver Cromwell as the Lord Protector to a Commonwealth ruled under Puritan values. Now, some have since argued the Protector was a position that is king in all but name, and with Cromwell's repressive policies in Scotland and Ireland, as well as his knack for dissolving parliaments, it's easy to see how that accusation made its way into scholarly discourse. Following Cromwell's death, it was decided by all involved that his son Richard was too weak to lead and he was forced to resign. Charles II was invited back to assume the throne and the monarchy was restored to England, Scotland and Ireland in 1660. He ruled until his passing in 1685 and whilst Charles had many children, he didn't have any legitimate heirs to claim the throne. The mantle of king then passed to his brother James, the Duke of York, who assumed the title of King James II. So there we have it. We're now at the beginning of our Jacobite journey. I'd like to thank you for coming along with us, and if you like the show, please leave a review. It helps an awful lot. If you have any suggestions, comments, or improvements, um, if you can bear with me on the recording, I'm new to this and the equipment is uh, clearly quite, uh, how can I say it, quite beginners, but, you know, there we go. Um, if, but if you do want to talk to us, you can get in touch at jacobitepodcast at gmail.com. We're on Instagram at the Podcast, or you can even tweet us using at jacobitepodcast. And if you do want to join us for next time, We're going to commence with the reign of James II, the king whose parliament trusted his intentions so little they would conspire with a foreign leader and his own daughter to launch a revolution to depose him. I look forward to seeing you again then.